living just as a nuclear family can be so intense and just being able to have other people around to take the pressure and the focus off can be really, really useful. We've got to change the way that we live and we're hoping that this is a yeah, good way for us to lighten that impact on the planet but also to be able to support the mental health of our residents. Hi and welcome to Wanna Be Greener with me, Harriet Robinson. This is the podcast where we make more sustainable lifestyles feel achievable. Now, if you're looking to lower your environmental footprint, you might not have thought about co-housing. The term originated in the late 1960s in Denmark, where the concept is a pretty popular way of living. Now, I'm not talking about a commune or communal living, but co-housing gives residents their own full home with a series of shared indoor and outdoor spaces. It's definitely a much greener way of living for a variety of reasons, from sharing amenities and even cars to combining funds to be able to afford more sustainable technologies for the building. As well as this, it also can help build a community to support each other and also bring small households of one or two together. So freeing up larger homes for larger families, which of course helps to solve an ever-growing housing problem that we're seeing, well, all around the world. So Urban Habitat Collective is a group working on a plan to build a co-housing project in Wellington, New Zealand. It'll be the first co-housing apartment block in the country, offering 24 flats in a city centre location. Hannah Shikadans and her family will be moving in and are therefore part of the planning team. So we caught up to find out exactly how it works with so many people building their dream home together. What skills do you need, if any? How much money you might need? How it all works from the green aspects to what the system will be once they've moved in. So weekly group dinners, what's shared, what's not shared. So Hannah said co-housing was kind of a new concept to her and her family but it's definitely something that they've been talking about for a while. We lived in Wellington for a bit and we'd published a magazine here and then we went to Germany for a couple of years and then we came back and we lived in a house bus for a couple of years and all that time we'd been thinking it would be amazing to buy an old building and convert it and and live in it with a bunch of friends kind of thing and as the process went on we kind of heard the word co-housing and started finding out a bit more about that. So when we actually moved back to Wellington, we came across some other people who were interested in it, which ended up being a different group than what we're in now. But um, yeah, we were finding out about things as we were going on. And at the same time, Roman Newton, who's one of the co-founders of our group, met Jesse Matthews, who's an architect, and they were put in touch by his brother. And they were both like, oh my gosh, I've had this idea. Yeah, me too. I've been having the same idea. Um, and then, yeah, really shortly after that, we um, were put in touch with them. And so it kind of just sparked. Bronwyn's got property development background and she's been involved in starting the orchard community orchard on Adelaide Road and that kind of thing. So she's got a lot of community background and development background. Jessie's got architectural background. Thomas and I do design and web design and kind of marketing and comms kind of stuff. So it was just the perfect little set of skills and then we put it out to our um, networks and actually the the people who are in the group Jesse's parents are in the group 
and there are a couple of people who Bronwyn's in choirs with, but apart from that, the majority of people didn't know each other beforehand, which is pretty amazing. And it's a really diverse group in terms of age range and life stages and that kind of thing, which is what's pretty amazing about it. Like when we were first thinking about it, between us, Thomas and myself, we were just kind of thinking that it would be with our friends, but that's not what it's ended up to be. And I think it's going to be a richer community for that. So how have you found these other people then? I suppose you're looking for people, but you want people with similar values and stuff to you, right? Yeah. So we kind of have this philosophy that if we give people enough information about what we're doing, that should then attract the right kind of people. And that's actually the way that it's gone. At the very beginning, it was us kind of word of mouth telling people. But then we ran a couple of um, information events at Thistle Hall we'd come up with a kind of stuff about the way we work together and the kind of culture that we're wanting to to encourage. And yeah, it does attract the right kind of people. Like when people get in touch with us, so they'll they'll come to a you know an info event. We ran one on Facebook the other day and then they get in touch with us and we organise a one-on-one chat with them where they can ask any questions that they've got. So that kind of means that they've got as much information as as they need. And then they're invited to come along to one of our full group meetings so they get to see how we work together and then when they apply for membership it's not about us saying oh do they seem cool or not (laughs) it's really like are there any major red flags does anybody have past experience with this person where they've well you know are they a fraudster more or less um but apart from that yeah there haven't been any people that have been problematic actually I think for the most part you know people are good people and if you're wanting to be part of something like this it's quite a big time commitment and energy commitment and you've got to be enthusiastic about it and so people that are um a negative are probably going to drop out because it won't be for them yeah right I, w- I was going to say uh, my one of my questions was going to be have you had anyone come through it you're like oh I just would hate to live with them but I guess that hasn't really happened I mean in a way there's been the odd person that I've gone, oh, that could be kind of problematic. And then they've self-selected out anyway. Mm. And the other thing is, like, we don't have to be actual best friends with every single person in the group. I'm making it sound like there are bad people in the group, but there are not. But but that's what tolerance is about, right? Like, you don't have to be tolerant if you find everybody's behaviour perfect and wonderful all the time. I think the, the nice thing about our group is that we've developed this culture of respectful communication so that... You know, if there are issues that come up, we deal with them and we work them through. And that's the kind of community that we want, where if there are problems, um, that you can actually talk about them and things aren't going to get toxic. Yeah. So tell us what it's going to look like then. It's it's meant to be, the building work's due to start in June, is it? I'm not sure how that's been affected by lockdown and stuff like that. But what what are the plans like? Yeah, we take possession of the land in, I think it's start of July. And um, we're going to have two buildings on the site, so a seven-storey building at the front and a four-storey building at the back. Between them, that's 24 apartments. And that sounds like quite a lot, but compared to what a developer would put on the site, that's actually not. We've left half of the site unbuilt. So we've got yeah half of our site as shared garden space, which is going to be pretty fantastic. Mm. Um, on the ground floor of each building, there are shared facilities. So in the big building, there's a communal kitchen, um, living, dining area. This is in addition to 
to private spaces. We don't have to, you know, hang out together all of the time. But if we want to, we can eat together. There's a shared guest bedroom, so we don't have to have spare bedrooms in each apartment. There's a workshop for, you know, messy jobs, woodworking, that kind of thing. There are two commercial spaces on the ground floor of the big building. So it's quite, because I, I, I was going to let you know, actually, I, I posted that I was going to speak to you in um, Zero Waste in NZ, the Facebook group, and had so much reaction. So many people thought it was an amazing idea. Um, mm. And some people had some questions and or comments on it. And Lisa said, if you're going to live um, communally, have your own fridge and pantry or lock your damn cupboard it's communal, if it's communal kitchen areas, um, which it sounds like yours isn't kind of that communal. You still have your own living spaces. Um, and I guess what, what was the reason for having that? Was it that kind of reason that you still want to have your own home and you don't want people just walking in and out of kitchens or yeah, bathrooms? Absolutely. So as it's not a commune. There are a variety of different yeah, alternative living types um, and what we're doing is co-housing which means that people have their own fully self-contained apartment and then to facilitate community interaction there are additional facilities so for us that also means that yeah we don't have to have things in our own apartments that we could share so for example a guest bedroom but for the most part everything it's like an, a normal apartment, but just with all of these bonus other things. We're, yeah, totally not going to be sharing cooking all the time. And yeah, but the idea is that maybe a couple of times a week we do have shared meals. And, and actually, that's going to be really pleasant. Like kind of when you first think of the idea, it's a bit like, oh, that's a bit intense, isn't it? But then when you think twice a week, I get to come home and have dinner cooked for me. That sounds pretty amazing. And I get to eat with my friends. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so how are you going to, yeah. how will that work out? Do you mean like just a couple of neighbours might cook together or are you kind of thinking you might have huge meals with all? Yeah, we'll probably have a, it'll be a rostered system. We haven't sorted out the actual nitty gritty of how it works yet, but generally in co-housing, there's a rostered system where you, you would be on cooking maybe once a month. There are enough adults that it would mean, yeah, once a month you cook for the rest of the community and Twice a week for the rest of the month, you get to eat a delicious meal and not have to have made it yourself. Nice. Mm. So you kind of want to make sure there's a good amount of people that eat similar things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've got at least three celiacs in the community. We've got one vegan, a couple of vegetarians. So we're going to have to figure out, you know, how to make it work for everybody. For sure. Um, but other groups have done it before us. Yeah, while this is reasonably new in New Zealand, internationally it's not. So, I was going to say, I mean, this has happened, especially I think in Europe, this happens quite a bit. Is your inspiration mm. come from there? And what specific things from that have you, have you taken for this project? Yeah, in Denmark, I think, I'm just going to pick a, a number out of my head, but it's something like 30% of, yeah, go research this. There's something like 30% of housing is co-housing. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. That might just be in Copenhagen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in Denmark, the percentage is pretty high. Like it's a really popular way of living. And in the 80s, a couple from the States called Kate McCarment and Charles Durrett um, went over and studied co-housing and what it was in Denmark and brought the idea back to the States. And so they've written, they're, they're architects, they've 
now consulted on heaps and heaps of projects and basically brought co-housing to the States and then kind of the rest of the world. Um, and they've written a book called Creating Co-housing and it's kind of like considered the co-housing Bible. So we've got a lot of inspiration from that. Um, also Earthsong in Auckland is a co-housing eco-village and Robin Allison runs workshops and we've been to one of those right at the beginning and she's fantastic and has so much great information. So we've taken inspiration from there as well. And these are these are all based in the city as well, aren't they? So the whole idea of it is to have that kind of village feel, but within a city, so next to, near to all of the amenities that you that you want. Yeah, I think there probably are some rural co housing um, as well, but a lot of them are more urban. And for us, like doing an apartment building, that's the first co housing apartment building in New Zealand. And for us, that was really important. Like we don't want to go and start an entire new life and new community out in the country. We want urban living that supports community in addition to everything else that you have in your life anyway. So we're not we're not the exclusive source of um, interaction in our residents' lives, but yeah, hopefully they won't feel so isolated when they are at home. Have you lived like this in, in any kind of way before? Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say like at uni, maybe I, it was a bit like that, but... yeah. Yeah, I would say uni, like in the halls of residence, or even flatting. There are a number of our residents who have lived in these types of things before, and there are a couple of couples who live, like one couple who've got young kids, and they live with another family. And yeah, personally, I don't necessarily, we lived with my parents for a while when we had kids for about half a year, and I found that really supportive, just I think especially for families um, with young children. Yeah, living just as a nuclear family can be so intense and just being able to have other people around to take the pressure and the focus off can be really, really useful. Mm. And you have a few families moving into um, into your space, right? Mm. Yeah, we do. So it's quite a few kids. So when I, talking about the, the people in the zero waste group, mm. um, Hannah said one of her questions would be around how you make that way of living work when you have kids, like especially young kids, and around like shared outdoor spaces. So she said, is there a play space for the kids? And is there a, is there a community garden? So would people have their own plot? So just with kids, how will you make that work? Will they be able to just kind of go outside and play safely all together and you yeah. kind of don't have to worry about them. Yeah, the idea really is that they should be able to free range within the building. In a sense, I'd be like, how would it not work with children? I, just everything about it seems to be, for me as a mother, like it would just be way nicer. If you, so another, you're saying, what? Um, how have I lived like this before? I'd liken it to staying at a campground in the summer and all the children just roam away over the fields and pastures (laughs) they go off and do their own thing for the whole day and they come back to eat and yeah when you're hanging out with with family and all the cousins just just run off together and they they do their things and they invent games I think for children it's an ideal way to grow up really then there are all these other you know honorary aunties and uncles and grandparents Mm. so that it's not all on parents to do the parenting but you know if they've got a question about something you know, how do you do this or that? And you say, oh, go and ask Mary. She knows about that. Or, well, Tony's down in the in the kitchen making marmalade. Go and give her a hand. Um, I feel like for children, it's going to be fantastic, really. And, and for parents, you know, you get to put your children to bed 
and then go down to the common space and have a wine with your neighbours. Like, who doesn't want that? You don't even have to organise babysitters. Yeah, sounds perfect. <laughs> um, so obviously this podcast is about eco-lifestyles um, and mm. people wanted to be a bit greener. And co-housing or communal living is generally considered more sustainable. But why is that? And why specifically with your project would you say it's a more environmentally friendly way of living or way of building homes? There are a number of things. So for a start, we are going to be living really centrally in the inner city. And that means that we're not going to be driving our cars as much. In fact, we only have parking for five cars on our site. And the majority of those we shared cars. We're just trying to figure out how to make the car share scheme work. But yep, the idea is that we will be sharing our vehicles. Oh, wow. We've got lots of bike parks on site so that that's not going to be an issue either. The other thing is really around sharing amenities, not having to take up so much so much space means that we're being kind of lighter on the planet. We're going to have an appliance library, for example, so that not everybody has to have a juicer gathering dust in their back cupboard. There can be one for the entire building or, you know, a communal food processor that you borrow or, a, you know, all those gadgets that you think, oh, that'd be great. And then you use once a year. Well, if 24 households use it once a year, then that's actually a way better use of resources. The garden is a decent size. It's, it's not necessarily large enough for us to grow lots of produce on. But yeah, living in the city, often that is something that is compromised. If people are living in apartments, they don't get that outside space. So we're really um, conscious that that's a healthier way to live. But also it means that we are making sure that that you've got green spaces within the, within the city that... Um, birds and wildlife um, can can hang out in yes yeah. that's the word <laughs> yeah nice and are you going to have stuff like um, a compost heap or yep um, we're not entirely exactly sure how we'll do composting but it's very much the idea that we will just across the road is the Kai Cycle people so we will hopefully be hooking into their composting system we, you know just bring a bin over every week <laughs> that would be ideal we're looking at putting solar panels in. We're just kind of in the process of thinking about those resilience things, about how we do rain, rainwater collection and, and solar and that kind of stuff. We probably won't have solar for the entire for our entire energy needs, but certainly there will be some some solar there. The cars as well, we've got at least a couple of electric cars at the moment, and ideally we would be running all electrics. Um, cool. How do you guys know what to do? Like... <laughs> Uh, have you have, have any of you done anything similar to this before in terms of I know you're not physically building it but I mean you're you're planning a building site basically how how do you know what to do Bromwyn is our superhero um <laughs> she has done she's done smaller scale property development before and also having fantastic architects really helps yeah but mostly Bromwyn just has an idea of of the process and how it works and that's that's fantastic but we are I mean, I don't really like to say flying the plane while building it mm. um, because that kind of sounds like we might crash. <laughs> but we are, you know, kind of making it up as we go along, but we're doing a pretty damn good job of it. And it's really rare, actually, for co-housing projects to move as quickly as we're doing. But all the bits are falling into place. The structure is that we've got our whole group that meets fortnightly and then we've got a momentum team which meets every week. And that's kind of 
yeah, a core group of people making sure that everything is being remembered, <laughs> that we're not forgetting any bits and pieces. And we support support Bronwyn, who's doing a lot of the grunt work. And then we've got working groups. So we've got a, a comms and recruitment working group. We've got a community circle, design and build circle, and finance and legal. So we're pulling on the skills of all of the members of the group. You know, we've all got different skill sets and they're all being, yeah, really put to work um, to make the project come together. That's so cool. How long are you expecting to stay there? Are you all expecting to kind of be there for forever? Good question. Um, we haven't necessarily talked about that, but these are long-term homes. It's not, yeah, nobody's in it for just a quick investment and then flick it on kind of thing. We've got a number of older people and they're saying, you will, you will carry me out in a stretcher. <laughs> I think we'll see how it goes when we're in there, but I think that all of us are wanting to put down roots somewhere. And that's the really nice thing, the idea that we can live in central Wellington, which is so, I mean, Wellington is such a cool city. Um, and we can really be putting down roots in a community while living really centrally. That's pretty exciting. Are you nervous about it? I'm not nervous about living there at all. The current situation that we're in, you know, gives the odd heart flutter. Yeah. Is that, is that push things back for you or not at, really? At the moment, no. I mean, all that anybody's doing at the moment is trying to take educated guesses about how things are going to play out. But given that we're not a commercial project, it actually puts us in a really sound position. So all of our um, apartments are essentially pre-sold before we even start construction. Whereas a developer is going to be building something and then trying to sell it. So we're not in a, such a risky position in that sense. That also means that commercial developers might be putting, putting projects on hold. And so there's a lot of slack in the building industry that can be picked up by projects like us. So we can be the golden child. So all of our um, like engineers and all of those guys are just just wanting to do our work at the moment. So the architects are you know, they'll, they'll give something to one of the um, other consultants and then straight away, you know, get stuff back. And so they've got to, oh, keep working. Whereas, you know, there'd be a couple of weeks delay in between things. But because um, our project's still going while others are put on hold, actually it puts us in a really good position. And we're hoping that um, in terms of construction, it will be a similar kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird time, isn't it? So it's so hard to work out what <laughs> where things are going to be in a few months' time. but. Must be exciting yeah and I guess the the question is how our own members finances are, are holding up under this time but you know we're keeping checking in with everybody and um yeah fingers crossed that all stays viable <laughs> so if somebody um is listening now and they're thinking oh my god I'd love to be part of a project like this but I have no idea where to start how would you go about it I mean do you need to have a certain skill to be able to be part of a, a project like yours to be part of it, I would say no, you don't have to. You can get in touch with us and you can join our project. We have three spaces still available and we would really love to fill them. If you want to start a project, anyone can start a project. It's just about how long it's going to take. And if you have people with specific skills, that's going to be useful. In saying that, we almost have had to put a, a quota on architects, a cap on our architect quota in our group because so many architects are interested so you're not going to be at a loss to find um, skilled people to be part of your project no and saying that they're all fantastic and wonderful and I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't exclude any of them and they're all really helpful but it is it has been funny to see how many architects have gotten on touch with us about it 
And is this something that you could start with friends or would you recommend not going into this with friends and just all complete strangers? You've you've got a few people you know that you're going to be, you're working with, haven't you? Yeah, I don't think that there's any problem in going into a project with friends, to be honest. You know, some people say you shouldn't do business with your friends, but I think who better to do business with, really? I didn't know these people to begin with, but they're definitely my friends now. I don't think everybody has to be best friends, but if something like this means that you get to spend more time with the people that you live around, why wouldn't you want to spend more time with your friends? I think it's fantastic. Sure. Well, it depends if you've um, lived with those friends before and then you've driven each other mad by not doing the washing up or something. And <laughs> Yeah, but... that's true, but you're going to be in your own apartment. Exactly. It's not. It's not... There's not going to be that same thing of "Mm, who's eating my cheese. (laughs) Yeah. What do you need to consider then? There's some things you need to really think about before you make the decision that you want to go into a co-housing project because it's a big decision. I think a lot of people expect that it's going to be cheaper than regular housing. And we certainly did when we started. It's not. (laughs) It doesn't cost more, but you're making different decisions than what a developer would make. So in keeping half of our land free, that's making a decision to put less apartments on the site and therefore share the cost over less people. We're also base isolating. We're also insulating to a really high standard and our acoustic performance is going to be really high. So intertenancy sound is not going to be a problem. And those are all decisions that a developer wouldn't typically make. Yeah, and that's also what the the co-housing people from the States say, I'm sorry, it won't be cheaper than standard housing, but it will be better and you'll get more stuff for your money. Um, So that would be one thing, but also don't let that stop you because if we'd known that to begin with, we possibly wouldn't be part of the project, but I'm so glad that we still are. Honestly, I'm not very much of a forward planner, so I don't think that you need really to do anything before you start, apart from have a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, and get something going because you can always refine your ideas or change your ideas as you go along but Mm. if you don't start something you'll just be sitting on the couch going "Mm, wouldn't it be nice if we'd tried to do that thing yeah how long have you been working on this now then because it's set to be you're set to start building in a few couple of months Mm. yeah a couple of months so that's really exciting so how long has the process been from when you had the idea and met some people to now I think we're about bang on two years since we met Jesse and Bronwyn, which, as I say, is really rare. It's more like like four years before people break ground. Cool. Okay, so it's moving pretty quickly. Um, as I said, I had a couple of questions from people. Um, I mentioned what Lisa had said about kitchens and luck in your cupboard and stuff. She also says, because she says she lived in more of a co- communal living rather than co-housing and she said that there needs to be a strong structure of the strong structure of the running needs to be clear and regular meetings to discuss the plan and moving forward and any tasks that need doing and stuff like that. Now I know yours isn't kind of quite so communal but will you be having kind of group meetings and be in like kind of constant communication with each other about stuff once you're living there? Yeah, so we're very well practiced in having meetings. <laughs> We've had lots of meetings over the last two years. Nice. Um, our community circle at the moment is working through our policies and guidelines and, and that kind of stuff. So working on what we do about pets, what we do about smoking, what our rules are around noise, 
you know, all of those things that would be in a sta- standard body corp rules. Hopefully they'll be slightly more like guidelines than laws. <laughs> but I think it is really important to have expectations and guidelines about how we're going to live together because you can't just expect that all the time everybody's going to be on the exact same page. Yeah, so the idea is that we will have meetings ongoing and there'll be working groups in charge of various things like a garden gardening committee that organises working bees and a co-op group because we're thinking about buying some food in bulk so people that are in charge of that you know and in charge of the various aspects of running the building. Awesome so does everybody that's part of the project have a kind of passion for sustainability and kind of low impact lifestyles do you think? I think yes to varying degrees along that scale we've got green party members (laughs) yeah at one end of the scale and and people who are like I think this is probably a good idea on the other end of the scale there's probably some people who are more in it for the the social side of things and more other who are more into it for the um, ecological side of things but definitely everybody knows that it that it makes sense and then we've got to change the way that we live and we're hoping that this is a yeah, good way for us to lighten that impact on the planet but also to be able to support the mental health of our residents. And I think they kind of go hand in hand really. I think that if you have, if you're creating a community where you support each other and people don't feel isolated, there's also a kind of wave impact that that will also help the environment and you'll feel more positive to be able to do things to help the environment as well. So I think that 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 sense of community is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what next? You're starting building, you said you think July, and how long will that take and what, what are the next steps? So we take possession of the land in July and then we'll demolish the building and we've got to do some soil testing. We've done a bit already, but there'll probably be a bit of soil remediation that needs to happen so it might be September or October before we start building but our contractors have said the contractors that we've kind of doing early engagement with we're not necessarily 100% using them but they've said that they reckon 12 to 18 months for the build is realistic which feels you know pretty brisk to me so it could be that within two years you know if I'm talking to you again in two years we could be having a party (laughs) cool yeah, we should definitely catch up in two years and see uh, see if you're living there. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So between now and taking possession of the land, there's also a few things that need finishing off. So we're we're just working through the final parts of the design, talking about fittings and finishes within the apartments at the moment, which is pretty fun. What appliances are going where, and and yeah, which ones we're having and that kind of thing. And we're also yeah, as I say, just finishing off recruitment. So just um, working on getting the last few households. Figuring out landscape design um, and yeah, those kind of bits and pieces. How exciting. And yeah, you have three, at time of recording, you have three apartments left, three units left. So if someone lives in Wellington or wants to move to Wellington, then they better get in touch, I guess. Yeah, totally. We've got a two and a half bedroom apartment, which is in the bigger building. And we've got two two bedroom apartments in the smaller building at the back, and both have a lovely outlook onto the garden, which will be pretty special. Nice. And these, are, I guess, they're kind of family apartments. So you've got, I think we mentioned earlier, but just a reminder. So you have people of all ages there, right? You have kind of grandparent age and kids. Yeah, absolutely. We've got people in their eighties, right down to um, there's a baby about to be born in the next <gasps> couple of weeks. Wow. Exciting. Mm, very exciting. <laughs> um, just uh, one last question. Emma said, 
are you going to have to put soundproofing in because of being so close to each other? Is that something you have to think about, noise proofing? Yeah, absolutely. And that is a priority for our members. So that's some somewhere where we're spending a bit of that extra money that I was talking about. Cool. So in terms of the structure of the property, obviously we're in New Zealand, which is earthquake prone. How how does that work for you? What do you need to think about? Hmm. So we've done soil testing um, or geotech testing, which um, has come back saying that we're on extremely solid ground. So that's fantastic. But on top of that, our members have also decided that we're going to base isolate the building, which means that, yeah, basically there are big rubber bearings in between the ground floor and the first floor. So it makes it, it's kind of the gold standard for earthquake resilience. And then on top of that, we're doing diagrid bracing. <laughs> Technical term means that it's going to not fall down and, and we're not going to have to rebuild after an earthquake and we'll still be able to live in our homes straight after an earthquake event. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, obviously, you're spending quite a bit of money on this project because you want it to be perfect because there's no point in building building your home and it not having everything that you will need. So, just talking about money again, do you need to save up the same amount of money that you'd need, for example, you and your family? Do you have to save up the same amount of money that you'd spend on a two-storey house or is it kind of difficult to know how much money it is because you're kind of spending a bit here, a bit here, oh, we need to do that thing, we need to do this thing? No, it's our budget works so that we're getting a quantity surveyor to look at our designs as we go. We've, we're having like three or four rounds of pricing. Um, we're just about at the last round of pricing. Um, and from there, we will know how much each of the apartments. We've kind of got a formula to work out what their proportional cost of the whole build is. And so we'll know how much the apartment is going to cost. And so each member, because it's a construction project rather than just buying a house, we need to put in a 30% deposit. So we'll put in a 30% deposit. And then at the end, once it's all built, we're all going to take out individual mortgages on those apartments. So it's not going to be co-owned in that sense. It'll be unit titles and body corp. But in terms of comparing it to other, other homes around Wellington, it's about the same as what you'd be paying for another apartment and probably for another another house. So a our apartment is going to be around the $700,000 mark. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's for a family-sized apartment, I guess. Yeah, well, that's for a two-bedroom. Two bedroom. Nice. Yeah. Have yeah. you had any – we kind of mentioned this, but you're obviously – there's a lot of you – making these decisions together so have you had any clashes so far or have you found that you've all kind of it's all it's all kind of just worked out and you've agreed most of the time yeah actually the group is pretty pragmatic we do work on a consensus basis so that sometimes people think oh goodness that means that you'd take ages to make any decisions but actually people don't dig their heels in unless it's really really important and it tends to be that people are on more or less the same page about things and we know that actually it is a large group and you're not going to get everything exactly the way you want so people are happy to compromise when it is in the best interests of the whole group which is really promising and encouraging for when we move in yeah for sure I think it's so exciting I'd love to do something like this and yeah I hope that this project kind of inspires others around the country or around the world to to do this more because this is the first one is it the first one in Wellington or are there others it's the first one in Wellington. Yeah. Um, there are, there's one existing one in Auckland. There's one being built in Dunedin, another being built in Auckland. I mean, there are, there are a handful. 
but it's definitely the first apartment building in the country, first co-housing apartment building in the country. Cool. I think, yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. And especially in the weird times that we live in, I think that communities coming together is always going to be a positive thing mm. rather than moving apart from each other. Um, and not necessarily families, but just friends and people with similar ideas and similar ways of thinking to be teaming up is got to be a good thing, right? Yeah. And in terms of the times that we live in, you know, recording this during lockdown, <laughs> yeah, we have been talking a lot about it as a group and thinking, ah, oh, if we were in lockdown in the building, what would that look like? And sort of thinking that perhaps we would have bubbles on a floor by floor basis. So you could have generally on, in the big buildings, there are three apartments per level. There's a single apartment, single room apartment and two, two and a half bedroom apartments. So that generally means that there's not more than one, two, three, four, five, maybe six people living on a level yeah. and six people in a bubble isn't a huge enough a huge number right so we could have mm. these yeah bubbles that actually include more people or more households and <laughs> then we can be shouting at each other from our from our balcony <laughs> I think it's going to be quite connected really <laughs> yeah for sure it's just mm. it's just so nice to have that that togetherness and there's so many people living in isolation now or yeah, people, you know, whose families have moved away and they're on their own. And so I think this is, yeah, just such a cool idea. So, well, good luck with it. I hope it goes really well. And maybe once you're moved in, we can chat, see if you're tearing your hair out or not. I'm sure you won't be. Excellent. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> cool. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch, obviously, at the time that we're recording, you still have spaces left. Or if someone's just got some questions, can they get in touch with you? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, they can go to our website, which is www.urbanhabitatcollective.nz. And even after we move in, you know, we're going to be maintaining a waiting list. You know, people's circumstances will change. If, a, if an apartment goes up for sale, then we'd be letting our waiting list know first. So, you know, if you're interested and it's a bit down the track, still get in touch. Even if you're just wanting to know more about co-housing in general, drop us a line. We'd be more than happy to chat. Awesome. And from the reaction I had just from speaking to a few people, so many people were saying, oh, I'd love to do that, but I just haven't got round to it. So as somebody that has got round to it, what would you say to them? Get in touch. Move into our one, then you don't have to make it all up. Good point. <laughs> but also I'd say, yeah, go for it. Why not start? Projects are fun. Thank you so much to Hannah for sharing so much information on something that's probably quite a new concept for a lot of us. Loads of interesting points covered. Some of them I just thought we could recap on. Um, she did mention it's not cheaper than building or buying a normal family home. Although, of course, you might save some money on stuff like sharing cars, sharing household appliances and tools and stuff like that. Loads of sustainable aspects to living in co-housing. And what I thought of actually is that you kind of you build a community and therefore you can support a more environmental focus within that community. Um, the idea of sharing means wasting less, living close to the city but having green spaces, so travelling less. It's also a great way to combat loneliness and build a sense of community. And of course, amazing. It sounds like such a cool idea for kids. If, like, as a kid, I'd love to grow up in a place where there were other kids and other families nearby. And of course, in the same way, it provides some childcare relief for families. And the idea of eating together as well, I thought was quite cool and kind of 
sharing this responsibility, so taking a bit of pressure off each household. She also said you don't need specific skills to build a co-housing project, but it helps. But everyone will have a say on, on how the project moves forward. If you want to find out more, head to their website, urbanhabitatcollective.nz. They're open to answering any questions you might have about co-housing. And, I mean, if you live in New Zealand or you're moving to New Zealand, they've still got spaces left. So maybe you'll be living there in the future. You've been listening to Wanna Be Greener. Don't forget we've got a load of other episodes out covering different eco-topics from veganism to zero waste to natural makeup. And if there's a topic that you'd like me to cover on a future episode, just get in touch. You can follow me on Instagram and pop me a message there at wannabe.greener or just send me an email, wannabegreener at gmail.com. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.